Hey, Sam. Hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? So, I am drinking a delicious breakfast beer. Ooh. It is called Blueberry Maple Stout, and it's by, you know what, you're from Michigan, so you're going to correct me on how to pronounce this. Maybe. Saga Tuck Brewing. Ah, Saga Tuck. Saga Tuck. Yeah, Saga-tuck. it's made in Michigan. You're really close. Or you might be right. I am not sure, because I've never been to Saga Tuck. Uh, you haven't? Where is Saga Tuck? Do you know? It's on the west side of the state. I think it was one of those, like, really nice um vacation destinations that not like it was a good like a well-kept secret and then the secret got out and now i think like a lot of people go there allegedly but i've still never been there so oh maybe we'll have to take a field trip sometime because apparently there's a brewery there yeah uh and I really like this bottle. Um, there will be a picture of it on the Instagram, obviously, because uh, we'll be thanking Jessica Hawkins for our beers this episode. Um, it's got a lumberjack on it with yeah, that's um, blueberry funny. pancakes holding a beer. And he's like all grinning and getting ready to eat his pancakes. So I was like, this is the perfect beer to drink today because it's so early. <laughs> you want to know what's really creepy? What's really creepy? Uh, my beer has... Uh, like a lumberjack theme as well. Ooh. And we did not coordinate this. No, we didn't. I'm finishing off that Sam Adams uh, sampler pack, and I've been super hesitant about trying this one because it's a spruce lager. So it says it's crisp and refreshing with notes of pine. And I don't know how I feel about drinking pine. So (laughs) I smell it, and it smells like a lager with some pine in it. So... I'm going to try it. We'll see now. I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) Does it kind of taste like you're tasting a Christmas tree? Uh, Just like like the the lightest hint of Christmas. It kind of feels like it's a good transition beer from Halloween to Christmas since everybody skips Thanksgiving decoration-wise anyways. (laughs) so since by the time this drops um halloween will be over and i'm sure that people will already have their christmas trees up by the time they listen to this and no judgment but my rule in my house is no christmas tree until after thanksgiving so (laughs) that's my husband's rule too but i've seen those articles that say that you're happier if you put your christmas tree up earlier so i'm trying to talk him into that i don't know i'm pretty cynical about people skipping Thanksgiving like it really makes me angry for some reason um so I don't think it would make me happier I feel like it just make me feel like a hypocrite (laughs) um that's probably true but I'm not gonna rain over anybody's parade if it does make them happy and they want to do it because it's their house and they can do what they want so I might (laughs) just judge you a little bit that's okay because maybe you judge me for waiting until after Thanksgiving no, I mean, usually I'm lucky if I got any decorations up in time for any season. I just kind of feel like time marches by so fast. I'll mean to do it on a day, and then it won't get done. And then, like, before I know it, I'm throwing out Halloween decorations, you know, four <laughs> days before Halloween. So, <sighs> Yeah, I've had my Halloween decorations up for a solid month as we record this. So I'm ready for them to come down and just have my neutral fall decor. And then Thanksgiving weekend, I will do the Christmas magic. 
I like it. Yeah. I think that sounds good. We put up my tree that is just exclusively farm ornaments. So pretty excited. I'm really excited to see pictures of that. Our house is big enough that I could totally get away with having two trees. So maybe when I show pictures of it to my husband, he'll be like, all right, fine. We can have two trees and one of them can be farm related so that our regular tree doesn't have to be. (laughs) Yes. There you go. We'll see. Yeah. So like you said, our drinks this week are sponsored by Jessica Hawkins. Her Instagram handle is at it's just the hot mess. So cheers. Thank you. Cheers, Jessica. Two shout outs, kind of. I know, right? We're just name dropping. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she listens because I don't think she's figured out how to listen to podcasts yet. So she probably doesn't even hear it. (laughs) That's so funny. It's so nice that she still supports us. I know, right? It's like, who are these crazy ladies and what are they saying? What am I funding? (laughs) Right. Well, welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm Sam. And I'm Bev. And uh, this is the podcast where we drink and talk about farming things. And we usually laugh at ourselves and the silly mistakes we make and do our best with this farming life we have. Oh, yeah. Your farm can be like one of those giant production farms that feeds the country or your apartment balcony. And you just, you know, like grow a few herbs and veggies on it um, and all of the farm sizes in between. We like to think that we have discussions that everyone can enjoy and get some knowledge and entertainment from. Yep. And sometimes we even go off on tangents. Yeah. You know, don't forget to check out the Patreon, even if you don't go there to listen to the BS. It's because of our sponsors and our Patreon supporters that we're even able to do this podcast. So thanks, guys. Yeah. And uh don't forget to take our survey that helps it helps us because it gives you a chance to give us anonymous feedback so we can make improvements like we separated the BS out on Patreon so it's optional and we're not forcing you to listen to that level of ridiculousness on the podcast every week if you don't want to. That's right. And join our Facebook group. We have a lot of fun in there. We learn a lot. Everybody shares a lot. It's a great place to hang out if you're looking for a community of other people that live this funky farm life. I don't know how else to describe it. Funny farm? <laughs> funny farm? Yeah, I definitely have a funny farm over here. Yes, uh, same here. Um, and also, do not forget to pretty please review us in all of the places. Because I just checked Apple Podcasts and nobody's reviewed us since August 25th. And it hurts my heart. I mean, at least nobody's gone on there and said anything like, you suck. You know. That's true. If that's what you want to say, you could probably keep it to yourself. But, you know, freedom of speech and all that can't really stop you. So. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And don't forget that we sell merch. Um, Most of our merch is shit sand mix. Which is super exciting. Yeah. It's great, especially when, you know, Sam works a 55-hour week and realizes she has <laughs> shit to do when she gets home, too. So, um, please forgive us if shipping times are a wee bit slow. Yeah, um, but, you know, the stuff that Sam makes is really cool. Uh, my favorite thing is that insulated tumbler with the mm. lid. It mm-hmm. keeps the bugs and the poop out of my beer so that I can actually drink and farm, like, for real. Yes, safely. So when we say drink and farm safely, it's not just like don't get drunk and drive heavy machinery. It's don't let poop get in your drink, too. 
Yeah, because that's how you get salmonella. Yeah. Yes. And probably some other things, too, if you're not careful. (laughs) (laughs) So what do we have this week for Corrections Corner? So we have a correction this week. Um, It was funny. While I was editing last week's episode, uh, I heard myself say relatively definitively that goats didn't have to have ear tags or have a tattoo. And I sighed internally because I was like, I know that that's probably not true. I don't know why I said that. And sure enough, a quick Google search taught me that ear tags totally are required for goats. (laughs) So um, outside of complying with state regulations, you will probably want ear tags for a number of reasons for your goats um, and other livestock. People that raise other livestock are probably more familiar with this than we are. Goats happen to be like our only real livestock animal. So that's probably why we didn't know this. Um, But you want to tag your goats because you want to keep track of your livestock by using tags if you've got multiples of them. We both still have pretty small herds, Mm -hmm. so they're easy to keep track of right now, but that's only for now. Um, They also use them for health. Um, It helps prevent the spread of diseases among their livestock when they keep tagged animals separated when they have a larger farm um, because they can know which animals are going to be more likely to be exposed to whatever it is that showed up when they find an animal that does have a sickness. And you can use your livestock ear tags for security. Um, It's a means of insurance against stock theft. So we're not going to get into how to tag your goats this episode because neither of us have done it ourselves yet. Um, But I will link to an article that tells you like how to pick your tags, how to apply them and maintaining your new tag database and whatnot if you want to. And uh, the reason why tags are a requirement is because there's this thing that goats are susceptible to called scabies. I I believe that's how you pronounce it. Or scrapies? No, not scabies. (laughs) Scrapies. (laughs) Scabies. Is that like bed bugs? I have no clue. (laughs) I just totally like mix those two diseases up. Yeah, no, uh, I don't think they get scabies, but they definitely get scrapies. And scrapies, uh, it's called that because that's what the animal kind of does to itself when they end up getting sick with it. They scrape themselves across a lot of things because they get itchy. And it has similar... symptoms as the wasting disease that we see deer have. Um, I don't know if you've got that problem in Michigan, but so far the two years I've been here in Ohio, um, the deer have had like a huge wasting disease issue. So if you have a lot of water on your, on your lands, like you're likely to find a lot of dead deer out there in the summertime because they sort of, uh, flock to water because they're really thirsty from the mm-hmm. sickness. And that's what this scrapey sickness is. It's, it's really similar. And it's highly contagious. There's, there's no cure for it. So that's why they want you, that's why the USDA wants you to tag your animals so that if you end up with an animal that has it, you can track it back to its original herd because one of the ways that it is passed is from mother to like doe or buckling. So you want to be able to like track through the herd to figure out where it started. And if you're buying your goats from like all over the state or all over the country, that can be kind of difficult if the animals aren't tagged properly. Mm. So that's why it's a requirement in a small herd. Nobody would probably ever realize whether you tagged your goats or not, especially if you don't register them. Um, You know, like with the dairy association, uh, what's the one um, that I reference? ADGA American dairy goats association. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and 
they use a tattoo to um, to register goats. And that tattoo totally can replace an ear tag if you want it to. You just have to send your herd ID over to the USDA so that they can put it in their database so that they know where it came from. Um, but yeah, a tattoo can be the permanent identification and it applies to all dairy goat program associations that require a tattoo. Um, and that tattoo is used um, to register your goats and track its lineage. And if you're showing your goats, you're usually required to have an identification on them. Like, you know, for 4-H or I don't know. Right. Does anybody else show goats? I, I'm sure they do. I just, <laughs> I don't know right now because I don't. I just look yeah. at mine and smile in my backyard. So that's as uh, crazy as I get over here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <It's> showing goats. <laughs> or I take pictures I of them, put them on Instagram. That's how I show them. That's about it. <laughs> right. And uh, we'll link to an article on how you can tattoo your goats. Um, I already went and bought all of the tattoo stuff because, of course, like once I went down the rabbit hole that it was required, I kind of freaked out a little bit and was like, gosh, darn it, I'm breaking the law. Like, I need to fix this. Um, now Which, I've calmed down honestly, a little bit. Which, but... honestly, kind of annoying that it's a law <laughs> for people that have, like, five goats. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I get it. But if they're never leaving my property, why? Well, if they're never leaving your property, you're probably fine. Um, and especially because you have your own buck um, to breed your goats, mm. you're probably fine. But, like, if I were to bring my goats up to your farm to be bred by your buck, um, I could get in trouble for crossing state lines with goats that aren't tagged. They're illegal. I know. <laughs> illegal goats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. Okay, which makes sense. But I, I assume Maya has a tattoo because she's registered. Biscuit isn't, so he probably doesn't. And then Little Toot is just, you know, Little Toot. He doesn't have yeah. anything. The two that I got from somebody else... Um, Diana and Cal, they have ear tags. And I find them incredibly annoying and unnecessary, but she did like take them camping and stuff. So I guess it makes sense that she tagged them, but I'm, I'm just annoyed that they have them. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it kind of like makes all of their close up like face pictures feel a little less cute, right? Because they've got like this earring with a giant number on it which is right. why I think that the tattoo works as mm -hmm. an alternative to ear tagging so that's why I decided that that's what we'll do here purely for Instagram aesthetics yes <laughs> Diana is still quite the Instagram model even she with is. it but yeah. still you know she might go farther in her fame without it <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if they're removable. I don't know if you would want to. I mean, that, that number is tied to her probably in a database somewhere. Yeah. Not a great idea. Um, but yeah, I'll let you guys know how tattooing my first goat goes. I've got all this stuff. It's waiting at Tractor Supply for me to go pick it up. I had to order it and have it shipped to the store because for some reason they wouldn't ship the tattoo ink straight here. I have no idea why. That's really weird. Right. And so now I have to drive like to the other town to go get it because they also wouldn't ship it to my Chillicothe TSC. So now I have to go mm. to the town that I never go to to go pick it up by Monday. That's probably what I'll be doing tomorrow. I was telling my husband we're going to tattoo our goats, and he just rolled his eyes at me and was like, yeah, you 
think that's going to be real easy. I'm like, no, I don't think it's going to be easy, but uh, I think we have to. So especially if we want to sell our goat kids. So is it like attack two gun like for or is it different? Nope. So it's like a stamp. Oh. Um, yeah, it's like a pair of pliers that the numbers like line up on. So um, the tattoo pliers, I guess is what we'll call them. They came with the all of the numbers, zero through nine, and I had to buy a bag of all of the letters, even though I only need one letter. All of my goats have the letter K in them, so I only needed one. Because mm. um, I have, I know what their tattoo number is already because I have all the paperwork to register the two that are registered. Um, the three that aren't going to be registered, I don't know what I'm going to do with them for their identification yet. I'll have to figure that out. So I've got some phone calls to make, and of course I'll share with everybody what I find out. Um, but yeah, uh, like half of the number goes on the left ear and the other half goes on the right ear. So what you do is you smear the ink Well, you clean the ear first and you smear the ink on it, like the tattoo ink, and then you line up your letters and stuff on your pliers and it, you just like kind of clamp it on the ear and the letters and numbers are just like a bunch of needles. So it's kind of like an ear piercing, but with lots of, lots of needles and then you just hold it. Make sure that the ink gets smeared around inside the holes that that created. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, let it heal and it should leave its tattoo mark. Interesting. I yeah. had no idea. Right. We learn something new every day. Well, every week because we don't record every day. But <laughs> <laughs> So what else do we got? Oh, so is that it for Corrections Corner this week? Yeah, that's the only thing I got to correct myself on. That I've noticed so far. If I misspoke about misspoke, <laughs> misspoke about anything else, uh, send us a message: drinkandfarm at gmail dot com, and sure. we'll correct ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of follow up from last week. Um, I wouldn't call it a. Cor- I wasn't sure if I should call it a corrections or a follow up, but um, Sam was a liar. Sam did not get the Patreon gifts out when she said she would because she worked almost 55 hours this week. Cause optimistically when we recorded last week, I was like, you know what? I'm going to come home after work and I'm going to get these put together and done and I'll send them out. And that just didn't happen because I was in the office super late three nights. And then the other nights it's like, you still have to do chores and dinner and all that bullshit. Um, so sorry guys, but by the time you hear this, they should be in your hot little hands, except for the one that needs to go to Canada. Cause I just have no frame of reference where that, how long that's going to take. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea either. <laughs> so, um, for our Canadian Patreon supporter, you might have to wait a little bit and I apologize just cause I don't know how long it takes to get to you. Um, but I will be working on those as soon as we are done recording here. So. Those should go out Monday. So like I said, you'll get them before you hear this. But I wanted to be honest and transparent with you guys because I'm not going to pretend like I'm perfect and have everything together because that is definitely not the case right now. So thank you for your patience with me. The end. <laughs> and I think everyone should be patient with you. I think I think our listeners understand um, that this isn't the only thing that we do. So we're just kind of doing our best trying to balance all the things yes true story so yeah and i'm thankful that you make them because uh, usually i'm the maker of things um but i did not want to take that on for this podcast so thank you for taking it on 
Of course. And I'm sorry that your job has been so crazy. Anywho's, do you have any follow-up? Yes. Um, I wanted to give everybody an update on Honey Shaker's Bumblefoot. I did not update last week because I hadn't checked on it um, since I had applied the the Moonlight Mile Herbs um, tincture that I bought. And I wanted to let everybody know that I applied it once. I let it sit for nine days wrapped in like a nice clean gauze and the vet wrap. And when I pulled the bandage off and soaked her foot for 10 minutes in Epsom salt, the scab popped right off and underneath was skin that was mostly healed. So nice. after one application, it worked. I had a couple of people message me on Instagram because I like put it in my stories. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, like it didn't work for me after one application. I was like, well, so one of the reasons why it might have worked for me after one application was because I was already treating it with drawing self. Right. So it wasn't like I had just discovered it and put it on once. It, I had been treating it for weeks already. Yes. Um, and also, I left it alone for nine days after the first application. So I just kind of let it do its thing. You know, like the more often you're messing with it and poking at it and like cutting at it, the more it's going to open up and ooze and, you know, bleed or whatnot. So by just applying it and leaving it alone, I think that just gave it time to do its thing. So. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad that you had a really good experience with that tincture. And I will say, like, when I've used it, it's taken more than one application. Um, it's taken, like, dedication to, like, giving it orally every day for a while. Um, it just depends on how far along they are in their bumblefoot journey. And I think you're right, because you were using the drawing salve and everything. Um that probably made it a little more expedited. So I would say that the tincture is a good supplemental thing to be doing while you're treating it with other ways. Not that it won't work on its own, but it'll just take longer because you're not getting in there and digging at it. So it's not going to magically heal it overnight. Right. Well, and we do have a spot that hasn't healed yet. The spot on her toe Mm. hasn't healed. It's the spot on the bottom of her foot that did. So I applied more. I gave it to her orally. Of course, like it's the chicken that is our like, what's what I'm looking for? A squirreliest chicken, I guess. Like Mm. she doesn't care for being handled. So like giving her medical treatment is kind of difficult. That's partially why we go so long in between it. Like, as soon as we treat her, she doesn't trust us for, like, a week. So she won't let us get anywhere near her. And then eventually I'll, like, coax her over with some grublies or something. And I'll snag her really quick. And then she's like, <laughs> God damn it, you tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it was my um, – if it was one of my barred rocks – well, I only have one now. Um, but if, if it was her, like, she lets me pick her up every time unless Aww. she's in the middle of her molt. So she's not hard to treat and, you know, like, give her the – stuff orally every day because she just likes me and she trusts me um but you know each chicken has their own uh you know unique personality so right the joys of chicken keeping mm-hmm. so how are those barn cats doing um they're pretty good they're very skeptical of me especially the gray one that one hides almost every single time that i go in there I got this little like pop-up cube thing to put in their cage and uh she pushes that or he pushes it out and like hides behind it or puts his head under it because you know if I can't see his head I, you probably can't see the rest of him even though his butt's sticking out <laughs> um but the black one um is, 
has started eating in my presence as soon as I like close the door to the cage he'll come over and eat and yesterday I stood like really close like right next to him while he ate and he didn't seem to care he he gave zero clucks (laughs) oh good um but like I if I put my arm over like into the side of the enclosure that they're on he'll kind of hiss but yesterday Mm. I stuck like my whole body whole half of my upper body in there to grab the litter box to clean it out and he just watched me he didn't hiss or anything so he's getting used to me the other one still has some trust issues but I at least got a good picture of the gray one this week because I caught him while he was out and he just like froze in fear. So I was like, Oh, picture time. Yeah. (laughs) I just talked to him for a while and yeah, he still wasn't having it. So, you know, I, it's, it's just going to take some time. So as we record today, it's been a week. Um, and they're supposed to stay in their enclosure for three weeks at like at the minimum. Um, so we'll see how it keeps going. And I'm still stuck on the names. I was really leaning towards like the Cats Broadway musical ones, but I then really I was like those. I was looking at the lyrics and they don't match the Cats description, and I just can't, I can't get over that. So. Oh, okay, I, fair enough. I can understand that. So I'm like, um, so I'm still deciding, but it's okay because I'm just. I'm one of those people that won't name something right away. I want to like watch its personality for a while. That's a good idea. So. Yeah, I might look up some more Shakespeare names because um, Benny was named, his full name was Benvolio from like Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. So I might, as a tribute to him, look at more Shakespeare names for them. So, but we'll see. Um, Mm. Still open to suggestions and thinking about it. You can name one Dr. Horrible and one Captain Hammer. (laughs) You know what's funny? Like, I did think about that for a second. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Yeah. I did. It'd be kind of funny. That would be kind of funny. Yeah. But I feel like 1% of the population would get it. I mean, a little more of the population is going to get it since we linked to that in our BS show notes last week. So So maybe like 1.01% of the population. (laughs) Well, I mean, we both had heard of it. So what are the odds of that? That's true. That is true. But we lead creepy, similar lives sometimes. Ah, uh, that's so. true. We do kind of. Isn't it funny how people who are similar in some ways just kind of end up, um, you know, finding each other? They gravitate toward they each gravitate. other. They gravitate. That's yes. the word I was looking for. So um, my SCOBY was done forming, and Ooh. I'm brewing my first batch of kombucha. Nice. So how do you know that your SCOBY is done? So, and you know what's funny? My husband asked me the same thing. I picked it up and like tilted the bottle in his face and was like, look, our Scooby's done. And he's like, how do you know it's done? Is it because it looks like a giant pile of mucus? Like, I don't oh, get it. what's done oh. about it? Um, I just compared it to the other Scobies that I've seen. It's like a nice thick mat of bacteria, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like, yummy. It's big enough that it took up the whole circumference of the inside of the jar. Okay. And it's thick enough that I thought it could hold up to the balance of sugar and tea that I put into it. Because, yeah, it's true. If you're trying to brew your kombucha in 
Did I say that right? Yes. I did. Okay, good. I was like, I'm looking at the word. I'm like, oh, did I mix them up again? No, I said it right. Um, If you're trying to brew your kombucha in um, a jar that has a scoby that's not big enough for the whole batch, you can stress your scoby out and it'll end up dying because the bacteria won't be able to multiply enough to like actually ferment your thing. Um, So I just kind of eyeballed it. I thought it looked like it was the right ratio for the size of my jar so that was what I did I just like googled photos of kombucha scobies and I saw a picture of a gallon jar brewing and I was like yeah my scoby looks like that so I put tea in it Tada! yeah all I did was a gallon of water um, four bags of black tea and a cup of sugar and I let that cool so that I didn't kill the scoby because if you drop boiling water on it you'll kill all the bacteria so don't do that. You got to brew the tea, let it cool, pull the tea bags out, and then pour it in. And now it's just sitting there fermenting. Yummy. I have no idea how long it'll take. I think I'm just going to kind of like nose test it and taste test it until it tastes like kombucha that I'm familiar with. And then I'll pull it out and bottle it and throw another batch in. It's like we'll a science experiment. <laughs> it is. I have like a whole science experiment counter right now. It's a little cold for fermenting in our kitchen because we keep our house, uh, I think it's like, 68 degrees right now but the counter feels even colder so those glass jars feel really cold so i'm not really sure how well they're fermenting right now i might have to find a new spot for them i'm thinking like somewhere near the fireplace my husband will love it we'll have like our fermentation station in the living room (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that should be a hashtag (laughs) fermentation station yeah it's catchy it is catchy i'll start posting some fermenting stuff and start using it there you go yeah. So I see that you have in our notes here some follow-up from some discussion we've had on our Facebook group this past week. Yeah. Since we talked about winterizing the coop last week and like we really focused on how hard it was to keep water from freezing. Um, in fact, that was the clip that I used for the little thing that I posted on Instagram. I thought it would be fun to pull the way that other people keep their water from freezing because like you and I are only going to share about things that we've done or that we've like heard firsthand from people that we know and trust actually did the thing Mm -hmm. what they've done so I thought this was a good opportunity to do that okay well and and I I apologize I didn't respond to the thread even though I was tagged in it because allegedly you interrupted me when we were talking about heated bowls or keeping water warm (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember trying to say anything about heated dog bowls. So I don't think you interrupted me. I think I just started saying something. And then I decided it wasn't a good idea in my brain (laughs) or something like that. I'm not sure. But the only reason I could think of why I wouldn't appreciate the heated dog bowl for chickens, and it kind of acknowledges it here in Elisa's point, um, she kind of has come up with a deterrent, is that... I'm afraid my chicken's going to like fall in and drown. Now, some of that comes from, you know, you having to be careful with chicks, not, you know, falling into the water and drowning um, because they're really stupid when they're small, right? Yeah. They just don't know any better yet. Um, big di- chickens, probably not as much of a, an issue, but we have some teenagers in our coop right now that we need to start trying to integrate. Um, And when they're panicked and if they're being chased, it would be not so great if they ran through the water when it's 32 degrees outside. But I see here that Elise uses heated dog bowls and made a little fence out of wire to keep the chickens from getting in it. 
So that might be something to try um, to keep them out yeah, of Yeah, and she has a picture of that up in the group because I know that's kind of hard to picture. I was trying to figure out how to describe it, um, but I, I can't think of the words to describe it. She basically just, like, made a tower fence. They can stick their heads, like, through the fence to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't actually get into it. That's the only way I can think of to describe it. Yeah, and I also wanted to point out that heated dog bowls is what Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily recommends to her followers to keep the water from freezing. Um, on that thread in the Facebook group where I chatted with Elise about heated dog bowls, the only reason I don't use them is because my chickens like to throw everything around the coop. So the dog bowl would just be filled with poop and straw all the time. Yeah. And I have to keep changing it. Plus, um, I only have electricity inside my coop, not on the outside. So that's why my water bucket or my water fountain is inside the coop during the winter um, instead of outside, even though outside is way better because it keeps down on the humidity. We already talked about that last week, though. So if I had an open dog bowl inside their coop, they would just be throwing water all over the coop all the time in the wintertime, which would just make it even more humid. And I just decided I didn't want to have to deal with that. Plus, yeah. I don't want to go out there and refill it multiple times a day because it's cold and I don't want to go outside either. So (laughs) I guess I'm a little lazy. No, I'm right there with you because it's just water in the winter is like the worst chore to deal with. Your hands get cold. You splash all over yourself while you're refilling everything. So I'm like, if I can refill it as little as possible, my hands will thank me for it. So Right. And we have to come inside and fill up containers and buckets and then take it back outside oh because you guys don't have a bib over by your coop right yeah we have one right behind our coop it's one of those frost free bibs but man it throws water everywhere because you have to turn it on all the way to get it to start flowing Mm. and it's a giant water mess any time of year in the summer i don't mind it but in the winter like you splash it all over yourself and you're like oh i'm so cold yeah we we actually have one that's relatively close to the door to go inside to the our like laundry room sink and just because the laundry room sink is easier to deal with sometimes it's worth the extra steps in coming inside for a few minutes (laughs) right unthaw everything while you're refilling the water exactly But, like, in my dream world, my coop would have, like, a faucet in, like, the, like, a mud room to my coop would be ideal. (laughs) So I could just do that. Uh, Maybe when you win the lottery someday. Yeah, I did not win the Powerball or Mega Millions or whatever the crazy one was. Yeah, I didn't either, so. (laughs) Oh, darn. I promise if I win, like, almost a billion dollars to share it with you, though. Oh, awesome. Well, I promise to share it with you, too. There, now it's recorded. (laughs) Well, if you didn't, then you'd be a really shitty person after I just said I <laughs> Damn, Bev's a bitch. Yeah. We made we made a lottery pact. On the podcast. Yes. There we go. Yeah. We'll still do the podcast though, right? Oh yeah, we totally would. This would just like okay. become our full time gig and people would have to hear from us all the time and they'd get really tired of it. <laughs> Then we could just buy a Steven, you know. Oh, there we go. Buy a Steven. But anyways, so it looks like we had some other people chime in on this thread uh, too. Yeah. So Larry uses a bucket um, that has nipple waters installed into the bottom of it. I have one mm-hmm. of those inside my chick brooder thing. Um, I just use a gallon bucket and we um, drilled and screwed um, the nipple waters from TSE. They're just, they're called chicken nipples. I don't know how else to describe them, but I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Yeah, that's what we used to. <laughs> yeah. 
And then he said that he puts a bucket heater from TSC in it. I'll find mm. what that is, mm-hmm. and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, the only thing that he said is that you have to make sure that the nipples don't freeze um, because yeah. if it gets cold enough, the nipples will freeze closed, and then your chickens will be, like, hitting them to get the water to come out, and nothing will come out. So that's the only caveat with that one. Yep. You, we check our nipples daily (laughs) (laughs) i swear i'm not a 10 year old boy uh yeah no that's what we use and that's what we use the fish tank heater um in that kind of bucket so it does work we just kind of like check the nipple waters and make sure that they're not frozen and then you're good to go And it looks like Steph uses a heated water fount, and she's been using that for a few years without an issue. Yeah, and the heated water fount looks just like the fount that I use for my chickens, except I have a metal one. Um, Mm -hmm. The heated one is plastic, and it has a cord that plugs into the wall, and it keeps the whole thing warm enough that the water doesn't freeze. Um, And they have that at, like, all of the farm stores that I've ever been to. Um, So that is an option as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes also. We'll link to all of the things in the show notes that we can, so you can go take a look at them if you want to. I know describing things by voice is kind of tricky sometimes. Yes. Hey Bev, do your chickens like to party? It's funny you ask that because every time I go in the coop, all I hear is we like to party. We like we like to party. <laughs> well, mine do too, especially with the Grublies treat tank. That's right. The treat tank contains five pounds of Grublies stored in a bucket designed to keep your grubs fresh and safe for your chickens. It's a great little perch for them to try to do little keg stands and put their little fluffy butts in the air and (laughs) grab some of the grubs. Um, I love it also because it's 100% weather and pest proof, convenient handle for snack time, so you can haul it out into the yard for all the chickens, and stores up to 10 pounds of grublies. Happy hours are more fun with chickens. You can save 15% off your treat tank with code FARM15. And if you subscribe, you can save 10% off your treat tank refills for your grublies and the tubblies. So head over to grublyfarms.com and subscribe and save. All right, Sam, we're going to poke the bear a little bit this week Mm -hmm. um, because we're going to talk about lighting the coop to keep up egg production. All right. I know that this is probably going to get some people scratching their head because um, there are kind of two schools of thought, right? One school of thought says it's more natural to not light the coop and let, you know, Mother Nature do its thing. And the other school says it's completely fine. So it's a little bit of a polarizing subject. Yeah, but I think that this is really important to talk about um, because this really isn't like an us versus them topic. And in fact, like I kind of want to encourage people to stop thinking of chicken keeping that way um, because something that we always like to say is that we're all just doing the best we can um, for our chickens. Right. And the decisions that we're making right now are based on our personal farms like needs and what our experiences have been like so far. So I guess let's just dive right in and piss some people off. <laughs> right? <laughs> because even though we're not trying to, it might happen. And that's okay. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. But like the whole purpose of this segment is going to be just to share all of the information that we found about it um, so that people can make their own decisions. Like we're really not condoning one over the other. And we're not saying that one is better than the other. Just right. to be super clear. Um, but what we do want to point out is that like there is tons of blogosphere fear mongering about this topic. And it tends to be repeated like over and over and over again. And I know that it's kind of hard to say that we're not being biased when we use the word fear mongering right off the bat, but there's a reason why I'm calling it fear mongering. So you should hear us out on it. (laughs) So how many blog posts did you find in favor of lighting the coop for the entire winter? I only found two. And you know me, I'm like a Google warrior. Yes. So the fact (laughs) that I could only find two blogs that actually like condoned this method, um, I think says something about the topic. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, part of me wonders too, and maybe it's just because I was a blogger for like two seconds. Um, so I don't know if there's just a lot of cross-referencing that happens in the chicken keeping blog osphere. Um, where they're just kind of looking to see what other people say because you want, you know, your when you when Google happens, you might be um, angling to get um, seen in the Google search. There's a word for that, isn't it? Like SEOs? Yeah. Like search I, engine optimization? Yep, that's what that stands for. Yeah, that's right. And you're probably very right about that. And, you know, like I think um, that these blog posts are written with really good intentions yeah um because you know basically like what they're saying over and over again is that that lighting the coop might affect your hen's health and that there are studies currently being done linking ill hen health to winter light but there's no links to these studies in these blog posts um and they'll say that it's more natural to leave light out of the coop and that your hens need rest from egg laying and all of that sounds really lovely and like you're a great chicken keeper that's putting your hen's health above your selfish need for eggs so um so i totally get it i totally understand why they're saying this um because you know like we all want to put our best face and self forward when we're putting things out on the internet for other people to consume right um and so i think that that's a a popular stance um to take because it does it does appear to be you know like a, a selfless act to go without eggs for the winter Right. When all actuality is, you're probably just going to the store and buying eggs from hens that are either, you know, just egg production factory kind of settings where they never, it's like lights are on or like all of the time, or, you know, you have free range eggs or whatever, but they're probably just lighting those environments as well to, because they're businesses, they want to keep making money. So really it's, are you trading knowing how you're lighting your coop and how you're handling your hens and getting the eggs? Or are you buying from some big production somewhere that's not doing it as ethically or you're in the dark, no pun intended, about how they're, <laughs> how they're keeping up their production and keeping their business going? Yeah, I mean, and all of that are good things to think about when you're, you know, like making your decision on what you want to do. But like the main purpose of this discussion is we want to share the information um, that came out of an interview that the Chicken Chick did 
Uh, she interviewed a vet uh, that specializes in the chicken reproduction system, and he confirms that there are no ill health effects associated with coop lighting, just as long as it's done right. Okay. So I guess a good place to start is just by sharing the things um, that uh, the bloggers are saying might happen if you light the coop. The unproven health fears include causing vent prolapse, ovarian cancer, egg binding, um, or that your chicken will stop laying sooner because they run out of eggs. But in this interview that the chicken chick did, and um, the veterinarian's name is Dr. Mike Petrick, he goes through, you know, how a hen's reproductive system works. So based on this Dr. Mike guy, um, he kind of comes in and calls BS on a lot of that, but he does it in obviously a very veterinarian scientific way. So increasing day length in the spring stimulates a bunch of hormones that prepares the hen's body to start laying. And then in the fall, the decrease in day length puts the ovaries in dormancy. And this is just a biological response that is good for reducing the hen's nutritional needs during the months because it's getting cold, there's snow on the ground, there's less bugs and green stuff for it to go munch on. So it's kind of like a, it almost comes off to me like an, evolutionary survival thing but we have much bougier chickens than that because we come in and feed them and give them yummy treats so in theory they're able to you know get the food and grain that we give them if we're giving them greens and snacks and things to hunt for within their own environment that doesn't necessarily mean that their ovaries need to go into dormancy and kind of preserve what they have nutritionally because they're spoiled. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a theory um, that this biological response can also be due to chicks not needing to be hatched in the winter um, because the eggs that hen lays, they really are for reproduction. So in my brain, it makes logical sense that the eggs would cease during the months that chicks are less likely to survive. Um, But I want to say that that is just a theory that I have. I haven't seen any research suggesting that that's true. Um, But I thought it was an interesting thought just to kind of bring up. Well, and I'm wondering, too, and I'm going to have to, like, kind of keep an eye on everybody this winter based on that theory. My roosters, I believe, are more docile in the winter. Whereas in the spring, holy crap, they all are like super protective of the hens in the coop and they tend to come after me more (laughs) in the spring because those hormones are raging. So I'm wondering, you know, I'll have to keep an eye this winter and see if it's just like the total chicken orgy that it usually is (laughs) when they're all free ranging or if they kind of calm down a little bit. (laughs) Well, and you know, like, so... I've only had my chickens for a year, so my chickens weren't really old enough to start going broody last winter. Mm. But I feel like all of the broody talk kind of starts in the spring, um, but you don't really hear about people having to break broodies in the wintertime. Oh, I have like three or four right now. Oh, do you? It's gotten colder. And little Miss Betty White is sitting on four eggs right now, and they're all developing. So by the next weekend, I might have chicks. (laughs) And I'm going to have to figure out where to put them where it'll be like a control, more controlled environment and away from all the big meanie chickens. So yeah. And you'll have to keep an eye on them to make sure they don't get too cold. Yeah. I'll probably move them to the garage and put like a heat lamp around and stuff like that. But yeah, 
something to prepare for. <laughs> well, that's good to know. See, that's why there's two of us on here talking, because otherwise I would have totally just made something up and then had to correct myself last week or next week. Right. <laughs> but I, I do think that brooding it, and people chime in and email us or talk about it on the group. But do you notice that your broodiness in your coop goes down in the winter? Because we're interested in knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, day length is registered by some gland. I'll let Bev. The pineal gland. Pineal gland. <laughs> pineal? I don't know. <laughs> so it's that gland and not the eyes that uh, register day length. So when it senses enough daylight, it tells the pituitary gland to start those hormones. And it's not really day hours. It senses it keeps track of the number of dark hours. Yeah, because um, a hen needs 14 to 15 hours of daylight in order to lay eggs. I feel like I need 14 to 15 hours of daylight to do anything productive. <laughs> I do, too. Like, it's, like, almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon here, and I feel like I could take a nap right now. Oh, same. <laughs> it's, like, a dark, cloudy, gloomy day here. Oh, I feel like it's affecting our mood. I can, like, feel the podcast mood. Yeah, we're just, down. like, ugh research <laughs> but i feel like this topic is so important which is why yes, i want to share it, it is i agree everything right and and so because there's no scientific evidence with like negative effects towards the hen's life expectancy or health or anything like that one thing that is important to point out is that you do want to allow your hens to molt every 12 to 18 months and over lighting can cause your hens not to molt so it's best to start lighting the coop after they're done molting. Yeah, and I think that that's really important to point out because you had mentioned battery hens earlier. Um, I think one of the reasons why they can tend to look really terrible towards the end of their life, because usually a battery hen is cold around 18 months of age, it's because they're 18 months old and they haven't been allowed to molt yet. So those feathers are their original adult feathers, and they just end up looking like crap because like our chickens they replenish their feathers just about every 12 months so they tend to look a little nicer because they've gotten the right nutrition balance and they've gotten their old yucky feathers off and new ones grown right right so that is like one thing you should really consider if you're going to light your coop is that you should just press pause on that idea until they can molt, and then you'll you'll be good to go. Yeah, um, and something else that I thought was really interesting is that hens are born with the number of eggs that they'll ever lay in their ovaries, just like humans are. Aww. I don't know if you knew that about people. Um, but it's in the hundreds of thousands, and it would take decades of daily laying to deplete those eggs. Um, and a hen's egg production decreases naturally as they age, so it's not possible for them to really run out of eggs. Right. Exactly. I don't think a lot of people realize, like, that part of the chicken. I don't want to say, like, chicken's anatomy, but I guess that's pretty close to accurate. Oh, yeah, that's Um, their chicken's anatomy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when I say chicken's anatomy, I think of Grey's anatomy. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's just another thing to think about to make you, you know, make your educated decision to, to light the coop or not to light the coop. Yeah. And, you know, if you decide that you want to light your coop, um, there is a perfectly safe way to do it. Um, number one, you want to wait until the molt is done. Mm -hmm. We've already explained why. Um, and you also want to make sure that you're not using a heat lamp to light no. the coop. Oh, 
bad fire bad (laughs) yeah and uh no red lights um while they help keep your chickens from you know picking at each other uh they aren't registered as daylight by that pineal gland pineal Mm. now you're saying now you're doubting yourself (laughs) i am i'm totally doubting myself you know that gland that registers the daylight yes so also something to keep in mind, you don't want to use Teflon coated shatterproof bulbs because they emit toxic fumes. Which makes me wonder if using them like around people is a great idea also. Well, <laughs> I've heard really bad things about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like the really, oh, I've heard really bad things about using LED lights too, though. Oh, really? humans. Oh, yeah. Like they're really bad for your brain, apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, But, you know, you can use a string of LED Christmas lights because, you know, that'll be enough and it's pretty. But, you know, I think because LEDs are so new that the studies on effects on humans and their brains... um, is probably a little um, preliminary, so oh. I could be wrong about LEDs, but they I do sure agitate so, me. Because my whole house is filled with LED lights because we're cheapskates. <laughs> I hate LED lights. My husband is obsessed with them because to me, they're too bright. Oh, well, all of ours are on dimmers, so we have them all dimmed oh. down. See, and this is kind of a tangent, but I also keep my phone screen like really low light it's not very bright so I think it goes back to that whole what color is this dress thing on Facebook it all just deals with how your eyes take in light so some people need really bright LED type light some people don't and then it affects the way you see things well that totally makes sense but you know like the reason why I use just like a string of LED Christmas lights and the reason why I recommended LEDs is because they don't heat up so they're not a fire hazard um because you know I don't like dust particles can actually ignite um if it's too dusty in an area and then there's too much heat around like I don't know if you've ever heard of like those crazy flour mill or like a bakery fires that used to happen like in the early 1900s because of the part of the dust particles um flour dust particles are, are really combustible that's what i'm looking for oh, <laughs> really okay. combustible yeah and um dust particles can like from straw and stuff can be combustible also if there's too many of them so that's why i use led because they're the lights don't get hot um and also one string of christmas lights is really dim so it's not a ton of daylight. It's not like I'm like shining a spotlight on my chickens during the winter. It's just like a pleasant twinkling, barely their light. But it's enough for that gland to pick up. Oh. Um, so it continues the hormones that are required for eggling. Um, but now we're to the do's instead of, you know, being all negative and just saying don't do this. So a timer is recommended, but we realize that's not always possible. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's required because we can't use one. Oh, well, okay. (laughs) With our setup, so. So the reason why a timer is kind of important, though, is you can't change the schedule that you're turning the light on and off, um, because sudden changes in the lighting can trigger a molt. So that's why they recommend a timer, um, and that's why I use a timer, um, because then you're not, like, you know, turning it on at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning one day, and then you want to sleep in, so you turn it on at 8 o'clock in the morning the next day. Like, too big of shifts in the amount of daylight. 
um, can make it really hard. But, you know, if you're setting an alarm and you're reminding yourself to go do it and you're, you know, being really, you know, steadfast at it, then it's totally fine not to use a timer. I'm really scatterbrained and I would totally forget. Yeah, we just, we turn on like our fluorescent tube light before they settle in. They hang out for a while and then we go shut it off around the same time every night. But we're not really actively lighting our coop for egg production right now just because Sam can't control herself and gets chicks a lot. So egg production doesn't really take a nosedive because I'm about to have like 18 hens that are going to start laying soon. So (laughs) we're not as actively um, lighting our coop. We just do it a little bit at night. Oh, yeah. Um, So it just, you you really got to decide like what your schedule needs to look like based on your needs. So I already was having a hard time getting rid of all of our eggs. So this year we're not as concerned about lighting our coop consistently. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say consistently because we do have the light on every night consistently. And we shut it off around the pretty darn same time every night. Um, but yeah, our we can't use a timer in ours right now because of our setup. But yeah, definitely... Use one if you can, though, because it'll just be more convenient. (laughs) Well, and also, like, if you're lighting for egg production, it's best to light in the morning anyhow. um, Because, like, I don't know, the day length here is going to get all the way down to, like, eight hours. So, you know, you'd have to have the coop light on for five hours after they already went, you know, inside if you were trying to really light for egg production. Mm. So Mm -hmm. they recommend that you just do it in the morning um, because then they can just naturally go into the coop at night when it starts to get dark. Um, And then you're not worried about them being outside, you know, like while the raccoons and stuff are all out. Right. Yeah, so if you were lighting for egg production, you would do most of it in the morning anyways. Um, And in fact, my schedule for egg production is um, I set mine for about three to four hours before, and I leave it on for about an hour or two after dark. Um, And that's because I can't get out to the coop to do like the evening chores and collect the eggs and stuff um, before the lights go out. And I think it's more jarring to bring a really bright flashlight out there and you like be shining it around to get stuff. So the Christmas lights turn on at dusk and they just stay on for an hour or two. And the chickens tend to kind of naturally go into the coop um, when they see the twinkling lights start and they start to settle themselves in. So my lights are so dim that they they still know that it's like roosting time. So I haven't had any trouble okay. with my chickens being like down on the ground doing stuff when I go in there. When I go right. in to get the eggs and like say goodnight and make sure everybody's there, they're all already lo- roosting. So then when the light goes out, it's not a big deal. Um, but if the chickens are, you know, like running around and all over the ground and stuff, and then you just like suddenly turn off a really bright light, they may not make it over to their roosts because they don't see very well at night. Um, so if you decide that you want to start adding supplemental light, it's recommended that you do it in 20 to 30 minute increments by week, which allows the lighting to be gradual um, because like we said earlier, sudden lighting changes can trigger a molt, which is also why once you decide to light, you need to decrease it gradually if you change your mind uh, because naked hens in the dead of winter are super unfortunate. Right. And like I said, we have never been intentional with our lighting and we've never accidentally triggered a molt, but... Yeah, that's something you don't really want to mess with. (laughs) Yeah. And um, also, don't allow there to be more than 16 hours of light. Any more than that could really cause stress. Right. And just keep in mind, too, that you can't really force a chicken to lay. 
because a they do what they want um <laughs> right they do what they want because they need the right balance of lights hormones nutrition and environment and stressed cranky nutritionally deficient hens don't lay eggs so they you know they know what is best for them and their environment so if you're not doing one of those things right they're gonna let you know by protesting and being a freeloader (laughs) right yeah and you know so if you're doing everything and you think you're doing it all right and you're still not getting eggs just check to make sure that you know they have all the food they need their water is not freezing their coop is safe and you know Uh, predators aren't getting in there at night, that they don't have any drafts or that there's no underlying disease or bullying issues going on. Um, Right. Yeah, exactly. So kind of like I mentioned already, you don't have to light the coop to have eggs all winter. So if you're still like anti lighting the coop, that's totally fine because you can handle your chickens however you want. But like I said, if you have first-year pullets, they're going to lay the whole first winter because they are overachievers. So that means more baby chicks for you in the spring and then fresh eggs every single winter. So you can go that route too if you prefer to not light your coop for whatever reason. Maybe you don't get good electricity out to your coop, so it's not really an option for you. Um, yeah, or maybe, so. you know, lighting the coop uses energy also. So if you're being environmentally conscious and you don't want to use a lot of extra electricity, lighting the coop probably isn't in your farm plan. Right. Um, something else to consider is that ducks tend to lay through the winter without lights. I will say that mine still slow down, but I would say percentage wise they're still laying more actively than my second year hens so you can always go the duck route it just depends on if you want to deal with like you want to talk about frozen water in the winter (laughs) deal with ducks in the winter but um those are a great option for holiday baking too so Maybe get yourself some ducks. Yeah, Yeah. I I totally prefer duck eggs for holiday baking. So, you know, another option that you have is you can preserve your eggs for baking in the wintertime. So during the summer, you know, when you have more eggs than you can possibly use, uh, what you do is you scramble up your raw eggs with a little bit of salt and you pour them into muffin tins and freeze them and you can pop them out and put them in a a freezer safe container. One muffin equals one egg. So then in the wintertime when you go to bake, you just pull your uh, pull your frozen eggs out of the freezer and you'll be able to bake with them. Um, but you won't be able to have, you know, like over easy eggs all winter with that route. Those those eggs are really best for you can scramble them. They'll be OK, but they're really best for baking. That's a fun little life hack. Right life there. hack. Yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for that. I read that on somebody else's blog. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Lisa Steele that said that. (laughs) I think I got that from her Fresh Eggs Daily book. Oh. Yeah, if I'm remembering I have that book, I think, from, like, the Honey and Rue box, but I have never read it. Oh, I mean. (laughs) This is why Sam needs book on tape. (laughs) Yeah. Audible. I I wonder if there's an audio book for it. (laughs) Probably. I'm sure there is. So um, one of the reasons why we thought that this, um, that we thought that this discussion was so important was because, like, I personally felt like it was a little hypocritical to say that I cared about my hen's health, so I I won't light the coop. Um, But then I have to go out and buy eggs, you know, from the grocery store that might come from battery hens to do the holiday baking because, you know, like I'm not vegan. I'm not allergic to eggs. 
and I love to bake. So I, I need eggs all winter. And I'm sure that a lot of other people feel that same way. And, you know, you might say, but I buy cage-free eggs. So they're obviously not from battery hens. But we do have a problem with egg labels in our country. So those egg labels might not really mean what you think they mean. And unfortunately, like, we've gone, like, way over time this week. So we can't really get into egg la- labels. But we will talk about them eventually. So this is just a little cliffhanger. God, just food labels in general. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe there's a documentary we can assign about egg labels. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh... Right. Well, and, you know, so uh, while we were doing research on this, we came across a lot of talk about, like, you know, eggs just being seasonal food, like vegetables and fruit. So you can just learn to live without them or stick with the preserved eggs, you know, like by freezing them. But I want to point out that we do a lot of things to extend the seasonality of other foods. Um, Like we start seedlings indoors so that we can plant our gardens early. We install row covers to extend the gardening season or cold frames or we build a greenhouse. We stagger breeding schedules for dairy animals so that you can always have fresh milk. So, I mean, why wouldn't we extend our fresh egg season using methods that cause no health issues to our beloved birds if we want to continue having eggs through the winter? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with having chickens for fun or as pets. And if you prefer to let their bodies stay in a seasonal rhythm as nature intended, then that's totally fine. But I mostly wanted to, another reason why I wanted to have this conversation was because I just, I'm tired of like the chicken keeper shaming for the decisions Mm -hmm. that you want to make. And I'm going to go ahead and be like the third person to raise my hand out there and say that like, I'm going to intentionally light the coop this winter um, for eggs. Because one of the reasons why I wanted to have my farm in the first place was to provide the best food that I possibly could for my friends and family um, and myself, obviously. And so having our eggs grown here on our farm was like the best way to do that. And I I meant to get new pullets so that I didn't have to because I I had thought that all of those health scares were real. Um, So that's why I had hatched eggs this um, summer. But, you know, like only three of them hatched out of the nine. You know, I kept getting delayed. Like, the two hens that are going to come in to start laying sometime in December or January, that's not going to be enough to, you know, like make my kids right. breakfast in the morning. So no, exactly. I had to like change like, gears. <laughs> it wasn't like you, you were going through excruciating back pain or anything this summer either. So <laughs> right. I don't know why you just didn't go get 20 new hens by the gosh. Like, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't shame yourself either. Right. So there's that. <laughs> So, I mean, I I really think that this is a great thing to discuss in the group. I mean, we would love to know, you know, what what you decide to do if you feel like you want to share it. Um, But don't feel like you have to. And like I feel like we've said a couple of times, we don't think either of them are right or wrong. We just don't think that there's anything wrong with lighting the coop if you do it properly. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. No, there's no shame coming from us if you decide to go either route. (laughs) We're just information sharers. Yes, exactly. So I had my first uh, hawk scare on my farm. Oh, yeah, this week uh, it was like it was pretty intense. It was it was the weirdest day ever. All right, so I've got to kind of like set this day up properly because it's like the <laughs> middle of the week, and you know I work from home, so I have a lot of flexibility, but like I still have a lot of stuff that I have to get done. So when I have these mornings, right. I always feel really guilty because like actually, so. 
will dispel this myth like really quick. Working from home doesn't necessarily like give you any more time to do all the things that you want to. (laughs) Really, quite honestly, I mostly just feel like I'm screwing everything up. Like nobody is getting the right amount of attention from me because I always feel like I'm supposed to be doing something else because I'm here all the time. (laughs) So no, I, I get that. Like sometimes I'll feel like I'll, you know, I'll get at my desk at like eight and not really move until five. And then the house is still a disaster. It's like, but I've been home all day. But there was literally no time for me to like get up and do dishes or anything like that. Right. Yeah. My husband and I both find ourselves because we both work from home. We'll go the whole day without eating breakfast or lunch. And we'll be super crabby when the kids get off the bus and we can't figure out why. And we both look at each other. We're like, oh, neither of us moved all day. That was real smart. (laughs) Yep. So, but sometimes, you know, like I have these days where instead of sitting at my desk right away, I go out and start doing some farm stuff. So this was the day that I took care of Honey Shaker's foot. So I'd already done Mm -hmm. that. And then the, um, the plants are starting to thin out. So they have morning glories all over their coop. They've all thinned out. And I found a secret eggs nest full of rotten eggs. I know. (laughs) I, you know what? I had a feeling that I wasn't quite getting enough eggs from them. Um, so I had a suspicion that while they were rearranging, they were sneaking off and laying somewhere, but I just assumed I'd never find it. It was right next to their coop. So I just like kind of face myself. And then I go inside and I'm like, well, I'm going to have some breakfast before I sit down and start eating. So I start kind of like prepping myself to get something to eat. And I heard this sound that I have never heard before. And I can only think that it was whatever hen spotted the hawk diving sent off her alarm. Um, because I immediately sprung into action. Like I just dropped everything and started running and I wasn't wearing any shoes and I was still in my pajamas and I saw the hawk coming down to dive for the chickens. (gasps) Like it, it came down like in that perfect arc. It was going smoothly across like the grass, just a few inches above the ground. And it was like honed in for a chicken. I just was screaming, waving my arms, and running as fast as I possibly can. He saw me and bailed. So the chickens, luckily, were already running towards their coop. Like, they, they, they're they pretty smart. I know that yes, we like are. to make fun of chickens and, like, say that they're kind of dumb and scared of everything. Um, but they knew exactly where to go to be safe. And they all beelined it for the coop. Everyone got in except one. I had to go hunt one down. It, it hid under our porch, like, near the house. Aww. So it was, it was still, like, in a safe spot. But I was really worried that he had actually gotten one when I couldn't find her. Um, but you know, when I saw this hawk also, it was kind of too small to pick up one of my chickens cause my chickens are kind of big. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what it was thinking, but I just like, was like, oh my gosh. Like, so that's how people feel when the hawks come down and like get their chickens. We hadn't yeah. had that here, so I hadn't experienced it yet. So I was always just kind of keeping my eye out for it, but it finally happened. Ugh. And it sounds like you should have had like a camera following you to capture <laughs> I really should have, you know, I need to put some security cameras up around here because I I could like seriously share some of the most hilarious things. And I'm sure that everybody's farm is the same way. Oh, for sure. But I immediately went inside and decided just to have cookies for breakfast because I totally deserved it after running so hard. I was like out of breath holding the chicken that I found. I'm like, all right, I have to share this to Instagram. So I did. I put like a little video up of what happens. Maybe I'll stick it in my highlights if I can find it again. Um, I think it's definitely expired by now because, you know, they're only good for 24 hours. But that's my farm story this week. That's so cute. 
I like it. I mean, it's not cute in the way that your chickens could have gotten, you know, hoisted into the air and taken far, far away. But just like the idea of you running around like that (laughs) is very entertaining in my brain. (laughs) Well, and it's funny. I had never thought of myself as a person that would act immediately like in danger because, you know, I mean... I don't run into that that often here. Like, my life is relatively cushy. I don't live in, you know, constant danger. But, like, when I heard it, I ran for it, like, straight towards the danger. And I was like, huh. <laughs> so that's something new about myself I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I think that times into you, like, being on the floor or on the, uh, on the lawnmower mm. and chasing down the bobcat or whatever that was. Yeah, you're totally right. So now I've chased two predators in, like, just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me a year ago if this is what my life would look like, I probably would have said no. <laughs> uh, probably the same here, too, yeah. Some stuff has changed. I love every minute of it. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, uh, we are. We drink and we farm things, and I'm Sam. And I'm Bev. And make sure you go follow us over on the Instagram, at Drink and Farm. And you can use the hashtag, hashtag Drink and Farm. And we feature a couple of photos uh, weekly. There aren't really any rules. We kind of do it at random. Just make sure you're drinking and farming safely. Yeah, feel free to kind of theme your photos, though. I had a little fun this week, you know, like pulling out the Halloween themes and stuff. Oh, yeah. So theming the photos is a good way to get get featured, as long as I've got the time to go through them and pick them out. So drink. Farm. And and give give zero zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye.